Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, everybody. Plenty going on. I think that's putting it mildly. Uh, let's see. I've got a ton of stuff to get to here, so I'm just going to dive right in. First of all, bounce over to theamericanclassroom.substack.com and check out the latest substack that I've written there. It is titled, The Desperate Measures of Collapsing Schools, Recent Examples of Institutional Policy Changes in Their Future Agenda. And again, I want to thank the contributors uh, to that particular article who were sending me a great deal of examples of what basically different K-12 schools and universities are doing in order to not only cover their tracks, but again, just kind of make it look like nothing has happened whatsoever and uh, do whatever they can to make it look like things are normal. And they are clearly not. And as a result of things not being normal within these educational institutions and these indoctrination centers, is uh, they're having to change policies and move things around basically in a way that they never have before. And they're proposing some rather ridiculous things. And I point some of those out in the substack, but I'm also in this episode going to dive into that more specifically. And I also have audio to play so that you can actually hear what these local individuals are saying about the moves that they're making and what they're actually proposing. But here's what I want to get into first. Uh, first of all, as soon as I got done writing that substack, I thought to myself, okay, I, I've got to come up with something for November's substack. And I thought to myself, I've got to do one on these fake these fake shootings, all these false flag shootings. That fake shooting in Maine, I cannot believe that people continue to buy it. I just can't. It's, it's too obvious that it's not real. But unfortunately, there are endless people who are believing it. So let me just kind of run this down real quick. Again, I, I immediately kind of picked up on this, and uh, I thought, okay, I'm just going to make a quick little gab post about it and mention a few things, again, right up front. And one of the things, too, again, that I just want to remind everybody of, and I have to remind myself of this, too, is that when these things happen, we, of course, know what the motives are. The motives are to disarm us so that they can control us and then ultimately kill us. Th that is. That is the entire motive behind all of these fear tactics, to, again, demoralize and scare people and guilt people into actually uh, owning guns if they own them and, to, you know, to try to get them to not carry them. I, I don't think it's having that intended effect, thank God. Every single time that something like this occurs, in particular when they're fake like this one was, in my humble opinion, more and more people go out and they buy guns. More and more people go out and they buy ammunition. So I don't know, again, what intended impact they think they're having by manufacturing these fake shootings, but it's not working. It really isn't. It unfortunately is justifying the moves of many politicians. I mean, theoretically, they don't need us to make decisions. We can see clearly what they've been doing over the last three plus years, but this is just one of those things, again, where they can have a playbook, manufacture something like this, and then ultimately they end up having some kind of a law or a policy that gets put into place that's remarkably unconstitutional, but it gets passed and supported anyway by these politicians and these lunatics. So I have to remind myself of this, though, is that we have to start with any of these fake shootings at basically ground zero, and you have to just tell yourself first that it didn't happen. 
Anytime you hear one of these things, just say, okay, it didn't happen. Now, prove to me it happened. Show me all of the proof that would indicate to me that this in fact happened. And there have to be some very glaring pieces of evidence, in particular these days, in order to convince us that yes, in fact, a shooting did occur. Now again, very quickly, let's go back to Nashville. As I mentioned in the Nashville episode, that was interesting because what they were doing was is they were learning from the Uvalde episode. And again, both of those were fake. No one died. What they were doing, though, is they're consistently building upon showing us particular things that are indicators of what they have planned as politicians and even unelected officials and these selected people. So, for example, back in the Nashville thing, what did we get to see? We got to see live action footage of a gun actually being fired and glass actually breaking, which, of course, then destroyed the entire security door story that having locks on doors won't save us from guns. So they basically got to run with that particular argument for a great deal of time. The problem was is that they claimed to have all of the security footage, in particular security footage of the so-called shooter, actually shooting employees and shooting students. And you may recall there was supposed to be some kind of a physical tussle between the school principal and the shooter themselves, only for the principal to lose that physical altercation and then be shot to death. Well, that didn't happen. None of that happened. Same thing with the uh, the janitor, <clears throat> the head custodian of the school building, excuse me, that they uh, were also in some kind of a physical altercation with the shooter and uh, ended up either being shot in the back or something along those lines. Well, with all the security footage that was there, we should be able to see that footage. But they're not showing us that because it didn't happen. So again, you have to start with it didn't happen and then move out from there and just ask again whether or not there's ample evidence that would indicate that yes, in fact, it happened. In this main shooting, here's what I put on Gab. I basically just said, you have no dead bodies. Excuse me, there's no blood. There's an inaccurate and ever changing body count plus wounded. First, it started off at 15, then it moved up to 16, then it was at least 20, and then it was 22. They couldn't, they couldn't get the number straight. There's no video footage at all of the individual. In fact, all you have is, is you have photographs of video footage. That's it. So there is video footage. But why would you take photographs, and I've only seen three pictures, three photographs of this individual again holding an AR? What was interesting about the gun, too, and this is, again, a direct line to their agenda, is the magazine clip that the guy was using looked like it was a 50-round magazine, like a Magpul 50-round clip. We know that they want to come after high-capacity magazines. Again, what, what defines a high-capacity magazine? Th that's open to their interpretation. They could say it's anything over 10. Now, there's no such thing. It, it doesn't really matter. If a person wants a, you know, a, a complete belt of ammunition coming out of a gun that they get to in the United States of America, that's not a crime. Unfortunately, again, though, they're building on their own narrative so that they can make little inroads, and I think that one of those inroads that they wanted to make with this was, oh look, it's a high-capacity magazine, 
it's a 50 round magazine this is what we have to this is what we have to go after now maine is a blue state and they want more gun control they want more gun laws this is a massive problem as you might expect um, but let me continue to go on here on, on this gab post and then I'll get into something else which has to do with the the mental health quote unquote aspect of this whole story which is beyond absurd again there was no video footage, but we saw photographs from alleged video footage. Um, they claim that the individual was a mental patient or that was a former gun instructor or even uh, an army reservist, something along those lines, and that had you know, been released uh, after receiving some kind of a diagnosis, something along those lines again. It, they're just doing whatever they can to tie in the mental health aspect of all of this. Um, let's see, there were cops that couldn't be reached for comment, seemed rather absurd. There was uh, one footage, I put three of these videos up on my Gab page, you're free to watch them anytime you'd like, but this random woman shows up out of nowhere, she's not upset about anything, she's not visibly upset, they're just, it's a MSNBC news anchor, happens to be there, and they happen to just be uh, talking with this woman, who claims that she lives in the local area. Well, what was interesting about that, I thought, it wasn't just the fact that she wasn't getting upset about anything. She didn't seem to really care. Uh, what, what was odd was that the town should have been perimetered off. And again, I'm not a police officer, but I think I know this. If there's an active shooter, or at the very least, they knew that the shooter was on the run or on the loose, why wouldn't you perimeter the town? close the roads and have checkpoints seems like seems like you would do that again even if it was just one police officer on one road shutting it down and uh and having checkpoints they they claimed to know who the guy was they had footage of him you could easily share that picture with one another as as a police force and then again pull a person over or again just check the faces of everybody running through a checkpoint they didn't do that and when asked how this woman made her way to right outside of the building where apparently the shooting had taken place. She simply said, well, I, I know the back roads. I know how to get here because I only live about four miles away, but I know the back roads. And it's like, well, wait a minute. So should the police officers. Shouldn't they know the back roads too? And shouldn't they close those roads down? But they didn't do any of that. Again, there was no shooting. There couldn't have been. It's it's beyond absurd. You can always catch the failure in these in these false flag events because policies are being broken. Procedures are always broken. And it really doesn't matter the profession. Again, it could be law enforcement isn't following policy, it could be school officials aren't following policy in a school related thing. It doesn't matter. The hiccup always comes in the failed policy. You can't keep having people fail these policies. And, and keep their jobs. In any other scenario, they would lose their jobs. There was also this. There was a, uh, a lock-in-place order, again, that apparently went out on everybody's phones. So again, if this didn't happen, and the local law enforcement put out a lock-in-place alert on everyone's cell phones, well, then they've weaponized cell phones. Now, we know that they've weaponized cell phones already, but this is just another incident of that. That they can use these phones to push out a false flag message that everybody needs to stay put because we're looking for somebody. They weren't looking for anybody. 
They weren't. They couldn't have been. Uh, there was also this, and this was actually hilarious. In the third video that I include in that Gab post, it was from, again, a, a different news outlet, but there's a guy in a parking lot, and I think he's outside of the parking lot of, of this bowling alley. But they're talking to him, and they said, so what was it like when you were inside? It must have been horrible. He actually says, he goes, oh yeah, when the guy came in and started shooting, he said that he ran down the bowling alley, the actual alley where you're, you know, where you throw the ball down, and he dove into the pins, and then he climbed up into the mechanics of the actual lane itself in order to protect himself from the shooter. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> who would who would do that? Who would do that? If you're being shot at with a, you know by a rifle is running running a distance in a straight line the decision you're going to make? I mean the guy had a small little scope on top of the rifle it looked like. Why would you run in a straight line? Dive into the pins and then climb up into the mechanics. Is that even possible? It was just ridiculous, beyond ridiculous. Again, these crisis actors, they've, they've really got to change their stories. They really have to make them sound more believable. And again, there was another video too, and unfortunately I couldn't come across it again, but I did see it on YouTube. It was a woman who, again, claimed to be there, and she claimed to have family members there, and she said the same thing that they said during the Uvalde thing. Again, it's the same lines time after time that... Uh, I think I have dead family members, she said, but I don't know where they are. I thought to myself, that entire sentence is confusing. And there were no tears, none. You know, just the old hand over the mouth and then hand on the side of the face and they're looking down and they're not looking at anybody else. There's no, no tears in the eyes, no watery eyes, no snot coming out of the nose, nothing. It's, it's just fake. Again, having trouble finding their loved ones, I wrote on the Gab post. It's, it's just beyond ridiculous. Uh, let's see. And again, there was a lot of just visual optic kind of things. Standing around on cell phones. Everybody's on a cell phone. Who are you talking to? I mean, who in the hell are you talking to? Everybody's on a cell phone. You got way too many police standing around. And uh, there's, no, there's no body bags coming out. There, I saw maybe one ambulance is all. But there's lights flashing and the whole thing. It's just, it's just all optics. And then, of course, finally, what happened? Well, they found the individual after a few days with apparently two gunshot wounds to the back of the head, allegedly. Again, I don't even think this person's dead. I don't even think they're dead. Not to mention, the photographs from the video, who's to say that they were taken that evening? They could have been taken any time. This is the whole point. This is the whole giant lie. But here's where it gets worse, in my opinion. What this is doing is this is not only amping up gun control efforts, which has always been in place, but the bad guys know that they can't make too many inroads on quote-unquote gun control, but where can they make inroads? They can make inroads in the mental health aspect of things. So what they do almost every single time is they tie mental health into this, that just blanket term, whatever the hell that means, mental health. And then what do you end up with? 
you end up with more pharmaceutical drugs, you end up with higher stocks in, in the pharmaceutical industry, you end up with all these institutions, again, whether they be education institutions, indoctrination institutions, whatever you want to call them. And then, of course, your average workplaces basically hiring quote-unquote mental health coaches and psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors and so on and so on and so on. They're turning every single workplace and working environment into a mental institution. This, as you might expect, increases costs within the workplace because, again, certain legislation comes down the pipeline and then all of a sudden all these workplaces and working environments have to start hiring these individuals. And then these individuals, again, make their way from cubicle to cubicle or office to office or wherever the hell they go. And then every single employee within these environments has to start getting assessed for mental health. And then ultimately, it's government-controlled mental health. So it's the government that gets to decide your frame of mind, not you. It is mind control. It's government-sanctioned mind control. That is really, I believe, what their larger agenda is here. They're trying to normalize not just this insanity, but they're trying to get you to doubt yourself on a constant basis. Have you ever felt depressed? Have you ever felt sad? Do you not want to get up in the morning sometimes and blah, blah, blah? I mean, they start asking these questions, you're either going to lose your job or you're going to be a mental case as far as they're concerned. But again, they also want to ramp up the use of psychotropic drugs as much as humanly possible. The other thing to keep in mind, too, with this is that it's well documented within these Q posts that not only is Freemasonry tied to this on a constant basis, and the, again, the people who own the buildings and the people who manage these buildings where these fake shootings take place, certainly in the Nashville case, I mean, my God, the Masonic imagery and symbolism throughout that entire thing was just over flipping whelming. And I'm not going to revisit it, but uh, good Lord. Either way, Masons are usually involved to some extent. But this next point, I think, is where it really gets tricky. Because where the right wing and the right wing commentators on the old TV would, would, would normally take people in this kind of direction, they would say, well, here comes the gun grabs again. They're going to try to take everybody's guns. Some of them would normally say that on a constant basis. But where they're getting these right-wing news anchors to continue to talk about this is the mental health aspect of it. And again, in the Q posts, they clearly state that most of these individuals that they prop up as being, you know, these these mass shooters, quote unquote, that almost all of these individuals have had some kind of a run-in with a psychiatrist or again psychotropic drugs to some extent or they were very well known to three-letter agencies for being a mental case, whatever it was, and whatever the case may be. But even if that's true, you've got right-wing news anchors, again, still talking about how now we need more mental health. We need more mental health. So you have the left and the right, politically speaking, which again, we know are two fingers on the same hand, but they're, they're now talking about the same kinds of things. We need more of a mental health push. We need more counselors in schools. We need this. We need that. If, there, if both sides of the proverbial aisle are saying the same thing, something is very wrong. Something is very, very wrong. Again, look at the Ukraine and Israel stuff again. You know, not to 
harp too much on that. Although I do have one quick story I want to mention about that uh, in just a second. But that right there should prove to people again that when everybody's thinking alike, someone's not thinking. So my overall point, I think, is that they're just using the continued talk about mental health and we need mental health for this, that, and the other. There's a far more insidious plan here that, again, has to do with filling these working environments and these schools and just citizens with uh, receiving some kind of a mental health checkup, so to speak. It's basically just government intervention on your mind so that ultimately the government gets to decide whether or not you are a well person or not a well person. That, that's not for government to decide. But unfortunately, that's where the legislation is going. That's what red flag laws are. They're basically, again, how often have you been to the doctor? Have you been to a counselor? Well, you're not allowed to have guns then. That's basically what it means. You go to the dentist too often? Uh-oh. You know, you've got five cavities. Well, if you had four, you could keep your guns, but now you have five cavities, so we have to take them all. It's absurd. But again, this is the direction that they're going in, and unfortunately, although predictably, you have both sides again of the political aisle advocating for this. You have people on the right advocating all the time for red flag laws. You have people on the left who want all of us dead. They want all of us unarmed and dead. So given the fact that they just can't outright take the guns, they're just going to burn the candle at both ends very slowly over the course of, you know, numerous years. They've been doing it for decades. We know that. But that's why they manufacture these. But people don't think. They just don't think. They just believe what it is that they hear and they believe what they see. And that leads me to this, which is actually kind of neat. I'm taking a bit of a turn here, but uh, you know, re regarding this whole Israel-Hamas stuff, and unfortunately these people being slaughtered like uh, fish in a barrel here, which is beyond a war crime. Again, that's that's putting it mildly. The Gateway Pundit, as we know, is run by the Hoft brothers, and they're Jewish and gay. And uh, they're getting called out on a constant basis in the comments section of their articles having to do with Israel and Hamas. It is incredible. And they're even, I should say this too, they're, and I'll mention it maybe a little bit later, certainly now, I guess, uh, they're even advocating for full-blown Bolshevism. You know, you've got these professors on these college campuses now, and they're calling for uh, Palestinian students to be outed, and we need to know their names and their phone numbers, and we need to dox them, and uh, you know we need to do whatever we can to basically expose these people because they're all they're all criminals and they're all filled with hate. That's Bolshevism, and that's not good. But here you have the Gateway Pundit outing themselves as basically being Bolsheviks, and they have no problem doing that because they're not denouncing. Any of those, again, message trucks that are driving around campuses that are flashing people's pictures and names and addresses on them. And of course, if you go after a professor or criticize a Jewish professor, well, then you get kicked off a of campus. But if you dox students as employees of a university, nothing happens to you. It's beyond outrageous. So let me mention this uh, particular story, though, because this is just one example, again, of where the Gateway Pundit's being torn apart 
in the comments section. There was this fake video that went out. It was beyond fake and completely ridiculous. But it is titled, Warning on Content, Never Before Seen Video, all in bold letters, from October 7th Hamas attack on Israel, the slaughter in the bunker, exclusive to Gateway Pundit, banned by mainstream media. And this is by Jim Hoft. It's completely fake. The video is one minute long, approximately. And it is, my God, I want to say 50 seconds, okay, of the, of the one minute video is just words on the screen with no imagery whatsoever. They're just telling this story as if it happened. And here's the story that they tell. They essentially say that Jews were round up, about a dozen of them or half a dozen, something like that, and they were thrown into this bunker on October 7th. And then grenades were thrown into the bunker to only explode and blow up these Jews, and it was Hamas who did it. It's completely outrageous. And when they show the, the, the actual footage itself, the individual taking the footage inside of the bunker turns on his phone, and he waves, the, he waves his, his phone around. Again, the camera is on, so he's rolling. But he waves it around very quickly to what looks like someone on the ground potentially bleeding. And then it's other people just kind of making random noises, but they're, everybody else is standing up and everybody else is fine, including the guy himself. And then he turns the camera back around and just shows his own face and there's no blood on him. He's fine. And there's no blood on anybody else either. And again, everybody else is fine, but there's just one person lying on the ground. If you're throwing a grenade or multiple grenades into a bunker filled with people, I mean, there would be lots of blood. There'd be lots of dead people. But that wasn't the case. So when you bounce down to the comments section, honest to God, it gets real juicy. Here's what it says. If you list them from, from best to worst, like the most upvoted posts, the very first one in the comments section of this story says, quote, a very tiny clip and a lot of text on the screen. It's 90% text on black screen. Not very impressed with this effort. That's the most liked comment. And it, and it isn't deleted either. I mean, none of these comments appear to be deleted. That one certainly hasn't been. And they're basically calling out the entire thing as being fake. It has 191 upvotes and only 9 downvotes. It's, it's incredible. And the, again, the replies are, are also very telling. The, the first reply to it simply says clickbait, because it is clickbait. The entire video, again, is, is fake. And then it said, the next one says, remember what our government and fake news showed us on 9-11? I'm skeptical of any and all government media. The response to that said, correct. We have been psyoped into every war since at least Vietnam. People should be pissed. It says, we're not, we're not getting... The truth on 9-11 Middle East wars for Israel. Why would we expect the truth on a current war, Israel? Then it says, way before Vietnam, we were psyoped into World War II. And then person says, and World War I, remember the main. Yeah, it's very interesting. Again, all these comments are, are basically a giant history lesson now. It really is incredible. And I have to tell you, this is a good thing. This is a very, very good thing. People are, in fact, waking up. We know this. 
but it's the comment sections on websites like the Gateway Pundit that are, you know, seemingly conservative. In particular, regarding these stories, they, they they can't they can't run from it. They can't hide. You've got everybody again, basically just calling this out as being completely fake, and it is. So it's certainly not convincing. I mean, if they were trying to convince somebody of something, they're they're going to have to try harder. Again, it's just like the fake the fake shootings. They're not trying very hard. So that's just a little trend that I'm I'm continuing to notice. And again, I I think it's a I think it's a good thing. I think it's I think it's fantastic. But let me do this uh, again, just kind of quickly here. I, I want to bounce back again to the fake main shooting real quick, because again, the predictable response, certainly from politicians, as you would expect, is 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 not surprising. You know, it, it is beyond predictable. But this is rather odd: is that quote unquote Joe Biden? Of course, he's not the real president, but he would put he apparently put out this statement. Certainly, he didn't write it, but Somebody else did, and as you would expect, you know he's calling on local local politicians to get involved and uh, make sure that everybody needs to heed the warnings of local law enforcement and law officials, and you know let them do their jobs. And if they tell you to stay in place, then that's what you need to do. But here's the last paragraph. It says, "Quote today, in the wake of yet another tragedy." I urge Republican lawmakers in Congress to fulfill their duty to protect the American people. Well, that's rich coming from him. And, uh, and it says, work with us to pass a bill banning assault weapons in high-capacity magazines to enact universal background checks to require safe storage of guns and end immunity from liability for gun manufacturers. This is the very this is the very least we owe every American who will now bear the scars physical and mental of this latest attack unquote it's it's just you know you can take that paragraph right there and put it in any of their speeches because it's been in all their speeches it's been in all of their letters all of their pamphlets everything else all their propaganda it's just the same crap over and over again so I really don't know what else to say other than I think it's falling on deaf ears. I think a lot of this really does fall on deaf ears, which is, again, a very good thing. Because, again, go back to the bowling alley fake shooting again. Are you telling me that no one in that building had a gun? A bowling alley. Really? Guys and gals bowling at night and not a single person had a gun. I mean, me personally, I don't pump my gas without a gun. Every time I leave the house, I've got a gun on me. But you're trying to tell me that a bowling alley filled with bowlers aren't carrying guns and aren't going to just grab onto their waistbands and pull and point and shoot and take that guy out? Are you kidding me? (laughs) It just doesn't, it doesn't compute. It just does not compute. I mean, apparently they couldn't find a single person who said, yeah, I shot back at him. I shot back at him, but I missed him. And then he ended up leaving, and then he went some other place and shot up that place too, and then, you know, whatever. And then he just happened to make his way out of town. None of it, none of it adds up, which means it didn't happen. That's all. It, it didn't happen. We are being propagandized, ladies and gentlemen, right now at a level that is uh, unimaginable. 
it's just an unimaginable level of propaganda here. Everybody's being hit over the head with it. I mean, no wonder you've got endless students. I mean, well, I should say this. I, I really should. No wonder we do have a mental health problem in our country. I mean, there's, there's a snapping of the minds that is taking place because of all of the lies, the constant lying. You know, a friend of mine sent me a post from the local high school where I live here, and, uh, and they basically said that a NASA astronaut was Zoom calling one of the science classes in, in the high school. And they were asking uh, this astronaut, quote unquote, about, you know, moon landings and how we're going to go back to the moon and what was it like being an astronaut in space and what's it like flying on the space shuttle and what's the International Space Station like and blah, 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 blah. I'm shocked that there wasn't a single student in the room. I mean, there may have been, I wasn't there, but that a single student didn't just start questioning this individual as being a fraud. Same thing with a teacher. Why on earth would a student let a teacher get away with this, this level of, of brainwashing? Clearly, the teacher's brainwashed. The, the very activity itself proves that. But you can see the indoctrination center here. It's just, again, it's, it's overwhelming. These, these kids and, uh, and, again, adults, it's everybody, regardless of age. Everybody's just being propagandized to the bone. It's all mind control. So, yeah, there might actually be a serious mental health problem because, again, let's face it, it's not new. But there's been two fractions that exist in society. There's the awake and the asleep. There's the brainwashed and the formally brainwashed. And those of us that are awake, well, if, we, if we've made it to this point and we're not on hallucinogenic drugs or, or pharmaceuticals of some kind, well, then we're doing okay. But everybody else is just numbed, numbed out. Again, a student in that classroom could reach into their pocket, pull out their cell phone and say, well, what do you think about this video? Have you ever read this book about Earth not being a spinning ball and space being fake and the moon landing was a complete, uh, you know, a complete psyop that was filmed in a movie studio? I mean, what would the old astronaut say to something like that? Same thing with the school teacher. I mean, students, again, in an American K-12 school, if they know what the truth is, their conscience has to kick in. And if you're still going to these institutions, that are clearly brainwashing endless people, and as I've said before, and you know this, you have to have the brainwashed, brainwashing youth. You can't have somebody telling the truth in, in one of these environments because they'll get fired. It'll go against what's in the textbook. It'll go against what's in the curriculum, and we've had parent complaints because you're, you're telling the truth so you think. And then that, that educator is gone. Which means, again, that's what the profession is. And I, I just feel so sad for and so bad for all of these minors that are being subjected to this on a constant basis. It's just awful. It's beyond awful. In fact, let's get into education now. Uh, this right here basically proves my point, too. So I got to run through this. I took a, a great deal of notes on this, and it really was just. It was pathetic. Oh, my God. As you've heard me say a million times, if you want to see this brainwashing, 
and this mind control up close and personal, you have got to watch school board meetings in their entirety. I mean, you have to watch them from the beginning to the end. Uh, it's, it's just beyond alarming. So I've referenced this school district with regularity in the past. It's the one where my, that, that my niece and nephew go to. Westerville City Schools, these people are just, they are out to lunch. <laughs> they're just, they're so, they're so crazy. Uh, and, and, and they're admitting all of the things that are happening to them, and they don't know why it's happening. So I, w- I want to hone in on one specific subject that they brought up in their last board meeting, which actually encompassed the vast majority of the board meeting. They had a presentation by three of their special education coordinators in the district. Okay. Now, let me briefly describe again special education, kind of in a nutshell, certainly from a historic standpoint. First of all, there never used to be such a thing, it didn't exist. Even when I went to school, you had college prep classes occasionally. And then you had run-of-the-mill classes that everybody was in. And then you had the severely mentally handicapped, which were on the other end of the building in their own room. That was basically it. And I'm not, you know, trying to paint with a wide brush here, but I mean, that was essentially the makeup of the entire thing. There was a time, even before then, even before the 80s and the 90s, when special education just didn't exist. It wasn't a categorized thing. You know, if you if you had class next to a handicapped kid or, or you were in the same class, that happened all the time, too. You know, it's just the way that it was. If a kid was chewing on his arm in the corner of the room, well, then, you know, you, 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 you looked at him, you thought he was strange, and you just let him keep chewing on his arm. But you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't have a bunch of paperwork on the kid. And, and here's the kicker. The school didn't get more money for having, for having such students in their building. But now it's all a money game. The entire thing is wrapped up in money. There are more special education students now than ever before. If you walk into any K-12 building, public, private, or charter, 35% of them are on some kind of paperwork that basically, again, gives them some kind of an accommodation. It's beyond ridiculous. Now, why is that the case? It's the case because the more paperwork that they're on for quote-unquote special education or individualized education plans or IEPs or even 504s, if they're on that paperwork, the school district gets more money. It's always been the case. So it's a giant money laundering scheme. And given the fact that the last three years have outed all of these people when it comes to their money practices and their behavior and a thousand other things, they're losing enrollment, which I'll get into a little bit later. They are losing staff members, having a hard time filling vacancies, which means what's their remedy for all of that? What is it that they have to do in order to get more money back in the building? Well, what they have to do, of course, is they have to do whatever they can to get as many students on as many special education paperwork items as humanly possible, even if. That means that those students are in mainstream run-of-the-mill, you know, run-of-the-mill courses, but they still need to be on paperwork. 
And again, I've been over this before, but let's face it, a lot of the paperwork is completely ridiculous. It's totally made up. They'll even go so far in some of these meetings to basically ask the student how they feel about particular things and what is it that they or even what is it that the parents themselves want the student to be able to do or how do they want them to feel while they are engaging in a particular activity, for example, like taking a test. You know, is it is it more comfortable for Billy and Sally to have their shoes off while they're taking a test? Oh, oh, it is? Okay, great. Then they fill out an IEP that says that they're allowed to take their shoes off while they're taking a test because it allows them to succeed. I'm not kidding. I mean, th- those are some of the accommodations that exist. It's beyond ridiculous, but that right there is all it takes for a school to get more money. So let me get into what Westerville is basically doing. What they're doing now and what they're proposing, which again, I can't imagine any administrator really wanting to go along with this, certainly not building administrators, but they're claiming again as a special education department at the district level that they want at least one building administrator to sit in on all IEP meetings going forward. That even if there isn't a special education coordinator or a special education teacher in the room, they want at the very least, of course, the parents would always be there, typically speaking, certainly the student in some cases, but they want an administrator to sit in. Again, there's not a building administrator that would typically want to do that because that's not their job. It just isn't their job. It's not the building administrator's job to get wrapped up in the paperwork of a student certainly from an instructional standpoint. They would only be there to make it look like they give a damn. And let's face it, most of them don't. Again, it's not their job. So that's one of the things that they're doing. They also openly admitted again that they are understaffed and that they're doing whatever they have to do to change their model. And this was actually the kicker. One of the board members, uh, Dr. Nestor Baker, this was the gal who was apparently being reprimanded for uh, for making board votes regarding her own daughter, who is an employee in the district. Um, anyway, she actually asked this question, which I thought was hilarious. I mean, it's a good question. And she got, she got the answer she was looking for, which was an unsatisfactory answer, but a very telling answer. She asked the three individuals, she said, so why, why exactly are we doing this? Why is this being proposed? Is this being proposed because we're understaffed and and there's there's a lack of uh a lack of individuals that are qualified to do this or to sit in on these meetings or are you doing it because you're just changing the model and this is what the model says? And the guy turned to her and said, "Well, it's both. It's just both. We're we're doing this for both reasons. Yes, it's in the model, but it's also because we're we're incredibly understaffed." <laughs> It's like you just admitted that you don't have qualified people in order to sit in on these meetings, which let's face it, most of them are completely unnecessary. And she goes, oh yeah, th- that's what I thought. I was afraid of that. And I was like, yeah, nice, nice work. Good answer. And again, what do they want? More training. It's always more training, more training, more training, more training all the time. They can't have enough training. They can't have enough meetings. They can't have enough professional development. It just gets rammed down everybody's throat all of the time. There's no escaping it. These environments want to turn 
every single school teacher and administrator into a special education instructor. And I might add, the same thing is happening at the teacher education level at the universities. These teacher education departments are always trying to get every single graduate to be certified in special education. Well, that's great that you want to be a history teacher, but also get certified to be a special education history teacher. Well, that's great that you want to be an art teacher, but make sure that you also get certified to be a special education art teacher. I mean, the whole environment is special education, theoretically. <laughs> let's, not, let's not cut corners here. They're not exactly the sharpest knives in the drawer. And unfortunately, again, they're doing whatever they can to ramp up as much special education as humanly possible when it's not necessary at all. They will convince parents who are naive that their own child needs to be on some kind of paperwork, and it doesn't have to be the case. They also mention constantly team teaching. This is another dead giveaway that you have less people and unqualified people. When you have team teaching, you've got teachers teaching together at the same time a group of students. Or you have, for example, an elementary school teacher, instead of teaching the typical four or even five or even more subjects that they would be teaching by themselves, they'll team teach and they'll basically divvy up those subjects between either them, one, or two more teachers. And then they'll just kind of have the students rotate the way that they do in middle school or in high school. But they'll do that at the elementary school level. See, the old version of the elementary school teacher that most of us grew up with, where you had one teacher, again, teaching four, five, six subjects, that's basically gone now. And they've just brought back team teaching as basically, again, a way of trying to divvy up subject matter so that the teacher teaches what they feel comfortable teaching. But they're trying to pass it off as, again, being a, a good thing for special education students. I don't know if it is, and I don't know if it isn't. I just know that it's rather indicative of a lazy environment that, you know, doesn't want to teach the subjects for which they're responsible for teaching. The other thing, too, is that they want more parent involvement. They want training for parents. They want special education training for parents. They want to create these seminars and these sessions away from school hours, basically, again, when, when school ends, so that parents can show up and they can start talking about all their problems and the problems that they have with their own children. And, well, my, my Billy needs this and my Sally needs that. And, you know, we, we need these accommodations and I wish that these existed and blah, blah, blah. It's just going to be a giant complaint session. And again, it's all just designed to get the quote-unquote community involved so that they can normalize this insanity. Because if they get the public's involvement and the public's participation, that justifies the actions from a school standpoint as far as they're concerned. Well, the public likes this, and we've had meetings, and the public agrees, so now we have to do it. We have to keep pushing forward during these hard times, and let's not, uh, let's not fail to blame COVID for the whole thing, because we wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for the pandemic. <laughs> and they can't help themselves. They've lost the plot. They've absolutely lost the plot. Again, you've heard me say a thousand times, if I showed up at that board meeting 
and I walked up to the lectern and I started to let them all have it on the COVID lie, I would crush the Overton window. That video would go viral in, in an absolute heartbeat because as, I, as you've heard me say, what other videos have we seen where parents are screaming at board members about the mask wearing lie and the COVID jab lie and all of that stuff now years after the fact? Are we seeing those videos? Is anybody holding these people accountable for anything? No. It's an unaccountable environment. And it's loaded with narcissists, which is, again, one of the things that I say in the substack. It's loaded with narcissists, and these people will never apologize for what they've done and what they are continuing to do. They created a mental health crisis if there is one. They are consistently perpetuating a mental health crisis if there is one. Because they're the brainwashing centers themselves. So you quite literally, again, you have the brainwashing centers, brainwashing minors in America with the full participation of their parents who send them to these brainwashing torture chambers. And now those very torture chambers themselves are telling the public, their own employees, school boards, and the students themselves that they need more special education training and they need more mental health services and they need more counseling and they need more of this and we are the environment that can provide it to you. Again, when I say the inmates are running the asylum, that is not a figure of speech. That is legit. That is real. That is exactly what is happening here. Let me give you one quick example. This comes from ChristianPost.com. It is titled, Professor Encourages Activist to Start Mass Movement for Kids' Right to Sex Work. Not making this up. A Johns Hopkins University professor appeared to advise a self-described sex work activist to create a mass movement to promote the idea of children in the sex industry, according to audio recorded by an undercover journalist during the Socialism 2023 conference. Again, it shouldn't shock anybody because that's what the conference was. It's, you know, it's, it's whack jobs, but uh, there you have it. In fact, I'll make mention of this too. Really, the only other kind of presentation, although, let's face it, it's basically every presentation in a school board meeting, but the only other kind of presentation, or at least another one, I should say, that really is like nails on a chalkboard, and you can just hear your IQ dropping with every second that these people speak, it has to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion presentations that are given by diversity, equity, and inclusion instructors or coordinators within a school district. You talk about a level of brainwashing. I mean, these people have to be the dumbest people in a school building in order to give this kind of whatever, these kinds of presentations. In the local school district where I live, in the last board meeting this past week, uh, they, they gave one of these presentations. It was brief. It was remarkably uh, discriminatory 
And that right there is really the kicker in this entire thing when it comes to the old DEI nonsense. They openly say that they are interested in hiring more diverse people. Now, we know what that means. It means less white people. They're openly telling you that they don't want to hire white people. We want to hire more blacks. We want to hire more Mexicans. If we can get an Indian, well, that's even better. If we can get anybody else, I mean, you know, if if a golden egg gets laid, hopefully it'll be an Asian. It's just incredible. They openly say this kind of stuff. They openly say it. They're, they were also openly bragging about having, uh, hell, what was it? They were openly bragging about having more multiple uh, foreign languages, more foreign language instruction for students. And then the guy actually said this. He can't make this up. He goes, we really had a great time the other day uh, because throughout the entire school, we had the Pledge of Allegiance in the morning be spoken in Spanish. So that was really fun for our Spanish students. <laughs> I thought to myself, you got to be shitting me. You have to be kidding me. These people, I'm telling you, they have IQs like around 50. They can hardly wipe themselves. But this diversity, equity, and inclusion push, ladies and gentlemen, I allude to it in the substack, but... It really is designed to not just push out white people, but hire illegals. That's ultimately the plan here. And I've already seen that happen when I was a school teacher, and that was, again, well over 10 years ago. That was already happening. They were already hiring people who could not speak English, who were fresh off the boat from God knows where. And they would throw them into a classroom because they had a teaching shortage. So-and-so either died or so-and-so left or so-and-so quit or so-and-so got fired. Whatever, whatever reason that they ended up leaving, they would just flat-out give it to a body that had a pulse. They didn't really care who it was. Now, as you would expect, that particular person didn't last very long. It was a bad hire. But this is what diversity, equity, and inclusion is designed for. It's designed to get rid of anybody who knows the truth. Anybody who is white, and it's designed to get rid of anybody who might know better. And they need people, again, who are a different skin tone, and they need people who will toe the line no matter what. Do what you're told. Again, getting hired as an American school teacher, in particular today, is the easiest thing to do. Because all you would have to do, even if you were on the seeming right of the political spectrum, all you'd have to do is lie. All you would have to do is just agree with everything that they say, lick their asses, kiss their boots, do whatever you need to do, and you'll get hired in a heartbeat. Oh, I love all these policies. I love all these policies. I love diversity, equity, and inclusion. More special education for everybody and all these fake shootings. I'm sorry, I mean real shootings. Yes, they're all real. All these real shootings are... Uh, are just a tragedy, and we need more security and mental health and counseling. I mean, as soon as you get done saying all of that, you're hired. That's it. They'd scoop up anybody off of the back of a turnip truck and throw them into one of these buildings and hire them. I know that's insulting for the awake people who work in these environments. My apologies, but you know that to be true also. And that's why you're not them. You're not the kinds of people I'm, I'm describing.
it's just, it really is mind-bending. You listen to these people talk, and you wonder how they tie their shoes in the morning. It's sad. It's a mental institution. There's no way around it. All right, now I'm going to get into this. Cicely sent me a bunch of stories from New Mexico. And again, just as a quick reminder, New Mexico is 51st in the nation in education. They're worse than Washington. So there's that. Uh, But there's a couple of audio clips here that, again, really continue to exemplify the complete and utter collapse of these education systems. And I need to mention this too. It's not just New Mexico that's made these moves. Again, this was sort of the basis for the Substack, and it certainly was the basis of the Substack, but I want you to hear the audio from these news outlets describing what it is that a lot of these public schools are doing. Uh, Again, this, this particular one, this first one has to do with the Albuquerque public school system. And again, they're engaging in their old shaping curriculum and they want parent input and this, that, and the other. Just to quickly summarize it before I hit play here, what you're going to basically hear is them make it sound like they want parent involvement in textbook adoption or curriculum adoption when in fact it's a giant lie. It's the illusion of choice. It's the illusion of control. Well, we want parents involved, and we always want parents involved and parents, and we care about parents and parents and parents. They don't give a shit about parents. They've already made the decision on their curriculum. They just bring the parents in at the end and have them look at a bunch of different options. And then, again, they've already made their decision ultimately, but they want to at least say that, well, we had parents look at it and we offered it up to parents. Parents have no say in the curriculum whatsoever. The only ones that do are the homeschooling families, certainly not these giant school districts. So, with that said, here's the local KOB4, Channel 4 uh, audio regarding this story, and give this a listen in 3, 2, 1. All right, are you happy with everything your child is learning in their classrooms? Some local parents will have the chance to weigh in on what's being taught in certain courses. Monica Legronio is outside APS headquarters for us tonight, where an open review session is already underway. So, Monica, how can parents get involved here? Well, Tessa, parents can come starting from 4 to 7 tonight at the APS headquarters. There they can learn more and give input on the different courses APS is reviewing. Every year, we review instructional materials uh, because instructional materials don't last forever. (laughs) We always want to be current with standards. Rachel Altabelli with Albuquerque Public Schools is talking about things like physical and online textbooks and workbooks. This year, APS is taking a look at K-8 English and K-5 Spanish language arts. At elementary, the same teachers will teach... English language arts and Spanish language arts. So they need to review their materials together. So far, not many parents have come out to the sessions, but APS leaders are hoping that changes. There are hundreds of people looking at these textbooks, but we really, we want to know what our parents and our families and our community thinks. APS says it's about a six-year cycle for updating core curriculum subjects. The most important thing about a textbook adoption is making sure every teacher has a way to look at the materials and talk about how to use them and choose the materials that best support their teaching. Ellen Bernstein with the Albuquerque Teachers Federation 
stress the importance of parents and teachers working together. I think it's important for parents to understand the materials that the district adopts to use in classrooms, but I think it's also important that they understand it from how we use it, not just how they view it, because an instructional material is used by teachers in particular ways. See what I mean? She openly admitted it right there. She openly admitted it. We want the parents to see what we've already adopted. There's no choice. I mean, they're given, they're given a very small amount of materials as a school district. And then again, they typically bring in some of the school teachers to take a look at this book or that book or you know this line of curriculum or that line of curriculum. But again, by the time it reaches the school district, it's already been decided on. And it, of course, it's the giant brainwashing machine that's creating it in the first place. So the district's already picked it. They just bring parents in to basically say, well, see, parents have seen it now, so you can't complain about it because parents have seen it. It solves nothing. It's an indoctrination camp. There's no way around it. The next story I've got here also from Albuquerque. Get a load of this. This has to do with how they're changing their attendance policy. And they're not disciplining students anymore for not showing up. That's right. You can just come and go as you please. Give this a listen in 3, 2, 1. Compared to states across the country, New Mexico ranks really low when it comes to education. As for the reasons, one of them is that students just aren't showing up. In fact, APS is just one of the school districts dealing with chronic absenteeism. So they're changing the way they're collecting those numbers, but the initiative still isn't clear for everyone. It's very frustrating. Meet Kimberly Kozaleski. As a mom of three kids, she stays busy, including staying up to date with their school district. To hear that they're just discounting that altogether is pretty interesting without notice. She's referring to this email obtained by Target 7. Albuquerque Public Schools sending it out to principals and team members back in September. All about attendance. It says excessive absences and tardies would be deleted from Synergy. That's an online portal for teachers, students, and parents to see their attendance. The email also says that school staff will no longer submit, quote, a discipline violation for excessive absences and excessive tardies. But that's not all. Moving forward, the district will now rely on the help of school attendance teams consisting of teachers, counselors, and social workers to tally those absences. Yet some parents, like Kozaleski, weren't aware of the change. Like, if you don't get answers, that's when people start to speculate. So, Target 7 reached out to APS. They declined to do an interview. However, they did send an email telling us they did not adopt a new policy but rather clarified to principals that students should not be disciplined. And instead, they should receive, quote, attendance supports. Those supports include text messages like this sent to parents when their child has missed 5% of school. It's a very blank kind of email saying, okay, we're going to, you know, measure the attendance if you hit this 5% mark or whichever. But then there's nothing to follow up with that. Like, what's happening after that? Say they come up with COVID or some sort of illness, the flu, RSV, there's tons of that going around right now. Like, keeping them out, obviously, not spreading illness. What is the next step? For years, New Mexico's largest school district has been struggling to get students in the classroom. According to the Public Education Department, nearly 46% of students were chronically absent during the 2021 through 2022 school year. 
That means they missed 10% of their school days. Just to compare, absenteeism was a little over 12% during the 2018 to 2019 school year. For years, we told kids, you don't need to be in school. And then we said, hey, if you're sick at all, don't go for two weeks at a time. And those are habits that we instilled in our students and families, again, unintentionally, for two years. Research also shows that the average daily attendance last year was about 88% across the district. That's lost learning time on top of the time that they lost from being in virtual learning for 13 months. And we know it's lost social time, less time with their peers, less time with other people outside of the home, which we know those skills are really imperative to getting growth mindset. The executive director of New Mexico Kids Can, Amanda Aragon, says the change comes years after the passing of the School Attendance for Success Act. It was sponsored by former Bernalillo County Representative Patricio Rilobo and signed into law that same year in 2019, making sure school districts across New Mexico were held accountable for developing better attendance policies. But COVID-19 caused a delay. Those attendance teams, I think, at the school level are going to be really successful in building strong relationships with families and helping students feel like, hey, when you're not at school, you're missed because you bring value here and we want to help you get to school. Aragon says it's a chance for officials and parents to come together to bring awareness and some much needed change starting inside the classroom. That is an impact that's really hard to overcome. So we can either deal with it now or we're going to have really long-term challenges down the road. It's all so exhausting. It's so exhausting. The thoughts that run through my mind, okay, when I listen to that audio clip, which I could spend the whole episode on alone. The thoughts that run through my mind are remarkably unhealthy. <laughs> they're, they're, just, they're just really unhealthy. Unhealthy thoughts, bad thoughts. You cannot fix that. You cannot fix anything that those individuals highlighted in that story are talking about. I've said it throughout this entire episode, inmates running the asylum. They are creating the problems that they are now coming back and attempting to fix. And their solution is creating more problems by basically, again, removing discipline of any kind for people just not showing up. Well, what impact does that have then on? learning anything. And again, let's face it, they're not learning the truth about anything. So them being gone, is it really bad for the, for the, for the minor? I mean, they're not technically a student, really, are they? They're a victim. They're, they're a, uh, I, I don't know what you would call it. They're, they're tortured. They're being tortured in a, in a torture chamber, attending these indoctrination camps. This is slavery, ladies and gentlemen. It's just slavery at this point. Again, I've I've, wor- I've worked a, a, you know completely worked away from almost saying indoctrination and brainwashing, and it's just flat out torture. These are torture institutions. And now again, these students. You heard how often they use the word kids. For God's sakes, it's so exhausting. These kids, these kids, these kids. 
What are we going to do with these kids? How do we help these kids? They're not your kids. They're not government's kids. They're supposed to be students learning the truth, but they're not even doing that. In the file footage that they used for that video, it was all footage of students wearing masks. Constant mask wearing. They don't have any new footage to use. It's just mask wearing. And the irony of using that footage when they were talking about all the previous decisions that they made regarding the COVID lie, which didn't exist. And there's RSV going around, the parents said. There's always flu. I mean, there's always that. They're getting sick all the time. What are we to do? They're sick because they're jabbed. That's why. You inject them with your forced inoculations in order to attend, so the parents think, and then you push a biological weapon on them. And you wonder why you have absenteeism, and you wonder why people don't want to show up. They don't want to show up because the product you're selling sucks. That's it. You have a bad product. Your educators look like lunatics. They look like brainwashed goons. The woman who claimed to be an advocate for students, who again is somewhat affiliated with the district there at the end, she doesn't look like, uh, you know, I don't know, she, she's out to lunch, that's putting it mildly. You can't help these people. Again, when you have the brainwashed, running the brainwashing institutions, doing the brainwashing to minors who don't know they're being brainwashed, and no one knows they're brainwashed, what is that? And I'll tell you one of the thoughts that runs through my head, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. One of the, one of the thoughts that runs through my head when I listen to something like that, and I listen to audio like that, is how grateful I am that Christ himself pulled me out of these environments. He always showed me that they were unnatural and that they were uncomfortable from the very first day of school as a kindergarten student. I knew that they were uncomfortable in environments. I knew that they were remarkably unnatural. Nothing healthy about them. I knew this. But he had to show me the inside workings of the institution so that I could come back out and he could pull me back out and say, now you see what's going on, Sean? Now do you see? Now do you understand? And the answer is, yes, God, I get it. I fully get it. And thank God he pulled me out. Because I'll be honest too, I'm, you know, I'm a, I, I have a heart, I have feelings. I see these teachers and I see these people and, and these individuals that again associate with these districts and I do feel bad for them. There's a part of me that does because they're brainwashed and they don't know it. That audio clip right there proves it. They have no idea what they're doing, what they've done, and what they're going to keep doing. They're living, they're living a lie. Their entire life is a lie. It's over flipping whelming. Overwhelming. But that's their solution. You know, text messages to parents that uh, Enrique isn't showing up to school anymore. That isn't going to fix anything. You don't teach the truth. And if you don't teach the truth, no one's going to show up. There's more acquisition of factual content on a child's cell phone than there is in an entire school district. I'd go so far as to say, well, it is true. There's more content, factual content on a cell phone that a student has at their disposal and their availability 
than any school and all schools combined in the world. You can find the truth anywhere. You just have to, you have to look for it. It's never going to be told to you. I mean, I try to do my best here on the show, clearly, but you have to find it. But again, these are environments that are linked into Chromebooks and using Google as a search engine, for God's sakes. The, the brainwashing is right there at face value. And if you use another search engine, well, the computer won't let you. You have to use Google. It's a trap. It's a prison. Speaking of prison, here's this one, also from New Mexico. I also highlight this as another example in the substack of how these schools have lost the plot. And they're doing this again, either in an effort to save money, to cover their tracks, to make it look like they're trying to be a new district or shake things up a little bit. And then they use all the excuses of, well, you know, this is going to help with teacher and student retention, and it's going to help with uh, any academic shortfalls that occur, certainly during the summer break. But this is the Rio Rancho Public School District in New Mexico, and they're proposing changing their entire calendar year schedule by shortening the summer break and then taking that time out of the summer break that they would normally have and spreading it out to multiple times of the actual school year. And then, of course, they're having individuals in the quote-unquote community basically fill out an evaluation as to whether or not they think that this would be a good idea. Again, if you're a school district and you know what you're doing, you don't have to ask the public for input. But they're asking the public for input now because if all things go straight to hell, well, they can blame the public. Well, we did what the public wanted. The public voted for this, and we just did what they wanted. Give this audio a listen in three, two, one. Rio Rancho Public Schools are considering moving to basically a year-round class schedule. Right now, they're just looking, though, for feedback from families. Police Romero spoke to the district about some of the pros and cons of this plan. Police. Yeah, Tessa, as days have been added to the calendar over the last few years, the district has gotten some questions from parents and staff members about making the change. Now that they have an idea of what that would look like, they want more input from the community. Changes could be on the horizon for Rio Rancho Public Schools, but before anything is final, the district wants to hear from you. No decisions have been made. Right now, what we're really looking for is uh, parent and staff input on whether they're interested in us considering a different approach to what the school year would look like. Right now, Rio Rancho Public Schools operates on a traditional calendar with three small breaks during the year and a longer summer break. But they're thinking about switching things up to a balanced calendar. The balanced calendar includes the same number of days as what a student would see in the traditional calendar. However, you have a shorter summer and then longer breaks dispersed throughout the school year. To gauge interest on the idea, the district wants parents and staff to take a survey. They also have options on what a balanced calendar would look like. The district says one includes two weeks off for fall break, a week at Thanksgiving, followed by a normal winter break, and then a condensed summer. Some of the pros uh, people talk about with a balanced calendar is um, more time for family vacations throughout the year. Um, right now, you know, you have parents who will pull their kids from school to take a family vacation. So this 
would uh, provide some of that time throughout the year for those vacations. This would also minimize learning loss during the summer and reduce burnout for staff by giving them more breaks throughout the year. But there are things to consider. A lot of people are concerned about what, what that does to activities or to athletics, um, summer work or summer job. Um, some people enjoy the long summers and take longer vacations. Now, on some of those concerns, the district says they're waiting to see if the community would even be interested in this change before moving forward. Parents and staff have until next Friday, November 3rd, to complete the survey. Right now, a little more than 2,000 people have completed it. Tessa? couple of things here. First of all, the Bethany Pendergrass gal who you heard there talking, representing the district or whatever they whatever their exact title was, you should see her eyes. Again, it's all in the eyes. You can see when a person is about to snap. Her eyes are the size of saucers. She's plugged into the matrix full bore. She's trying to get control of something she can't control. And what's the justification again for this proposal? It makes zero sense. There's no proof that what they're proposing is somehow going to help something, in particular, academic achievement. They're not achieving anything anyway. There are lies in the curriculum. I've been over that a million times. They're not really achieving anything. And if they think it's going to have anything to do with burnout, well, you know, shorten shorten your uh, your your schools to four-day work weeks then. People have done that too. Turn the lights off on a Friday and save on the electricity bill. I mean, they could do that also instead of taking off all the summer days, I suppose. School districts, again, across the United States, that was one of their first moves when they started to become insolvent over the last three years. They immediately went to a four-day work week. Most people would approve of something like that. This, no chance. Again, what's interesting about this, and I, I again highlighted it in the Substack, but what I find ironic is that they're actually advocating for homeschooling in more of a homeschooling style of a uh, of a schedule, and and they don't even know it. They don't even know that that's what they're advocating for, because if they're talking about extended breaks throughout the entire year, well, a homeschooling family does that on a day in and day out basis. They do it every day. A homeschooling student is not over top of workbooks and staring at videos of of the so-called curriculum five, six, seven, eight, nine hours a day. They're not doing that. They're they're you know they're they're doing what they need to do at a pace that works for them when they want to do it. You know, uh, maybe a couple to a few hours a day tops. But what's interesting, of course is that if they were being taught the truth, regardless of where they are, they'll be interested in learning naturally. That, that's a natural occurrence. The reason that you have people not wanting to show up to school is because of all of the bullshit. That's why. And that's why, again, you get gimmicks like this where they're trying to mix things up and look like they're hip to the jive. They're not doing anything. It's the illusion of changing an environment. You want to change something? Stop teaching lies. But that takes, again, getting them to recognize that they have been teaching lies this entire time. Take the restrictions off of the internet. Don't discipline students for questioning what a teacher says. Tell the teachers that they have more to learn. Let the teachers provide professional development. 
within the building. So that, heaven forbid, if you have a smarter teacher who is in a particular department, say a science department, that particular teacher gets to provide some professional development and tell everybody that they're not living on a spinning ball and that gravity is fake and go through the entire history of that. See, that kind of professional development, though, isn't allowed, which means it's 1984, ladies and gentlemen. It's George Orwell's blueprint of what he wrote in that book. It's, it, it's just not allowed. So they have to do all these little games and gimmicks and uh, schedule changes, and we want parental input because it matters so much to us. But when you provide real parental input, they don't want to hear it. It's so sad. It's just so sad. You can't fix this. Again, voting out school board members, putting in so-called conservatives because we don't like the pornographic books in the library, that's the least of the problems. It's a problem, but that's the least of the problems, and that isn't going to solve it either. It just won't. Sorry. I mean, I hate to break it, but, you know, the entire thing's got to go. Got another one here. Oregon schools eliminates proficiency requirements in math and English for students. Sure. Why not? Why not? Makes total sense. I mean, it's going to get to the point in American schools where, well, we're already there. I mean, I was going to try to create an example. No point in it. We're already there. You don't even have to show up in order to graduate. That's where we are now. That's the entire environment. It'll get to a point again where you don't even have to sign your name on anything. You just look at somebody and you go, duh, and then you graduate. That's it. You're not going to actually have to do anything. Because let's face it, they're not doing anything that's factually accurate anyway. And as you might expect, that has consequences. And here's a prime example. This was sent to me by a listener of the show, uh, and thank you for sending it. They know who they are. Loudonnow.com. Yes, that's right. Loudon County, Virginia, ladies and gentlemen. That famous school district that just can't seem to do anything right. The title of this is Enrollment Decline Staff Vacancies Hit School Division Budget. I also highlighted this one in the substack. This is juicy too. Long story short with this one, they are down 900 students. They've lost 900 students. And as a result, early projections indicate a 9, I'm sorry, 8.9 million shortfall. Oops. This is how you bring down a school district. Period. This is how you do it. Because one, I mean, one link in the chain is really all it takes to just blow up the entire thing. That really is it. If you remove a child, a student, an enrolled student from an environment, not only does the money go with that student and go away from the school district, but everything else that that money was intended to help also starts to slip away too. The state starts to give them less, less money basically because, again, there are less students. So, with less money and less students, you can't hire people. If you can't hire people, then all the games, the gimmicks, and all the professional development that they so desperately want, well, all of that starts to slip away too. And they can't afford to do any of that anymore. Again, this was the same school district 
that changed their bathroom policies to, of course, allow all the brainwashed trannies to basically go number one and number two wherever they wanted. And as a result, what did that do? That caused a brainwashed goon who is a, who was a, a male student pretending to be a female, just walked right into a female bathroom and raped a female student. And then, of course, all the national attention that came with that case and the whole thing. And they're shocked that 900 students are no longer there and have unenrolled. It doesn't matter how big or small the school district is. If you don't show up anymore, they cease to exist. They start to fire people. I've been, I've been over this step by step on how this gets done. This is the easiest thing to do to make them insolvent. Is your lack of participation. I, I, I love it. I think it's absolutely incredible. And I'm sure they're shocked. We just can't figure it out. And it's really hard. And it's really tough. And you know, we're, we're going to try our best and blah, blah, blah. They want more and more money from the state that the state doesn't have to give. Again, you talk about build back better. This <laughs> is hilarious. If this was their plan, apparently they, they, they wrote that entire slogan on opposite day. Because as far as they're concerned, they're not building back anything better. The entire thing is crumbling. But what we know, of course, is that what hopefully will be built back better is the complete elimination of these environments. Hopefully that's the case. More people, again, walking away from government institutions because they don't need them. Taking back control. That's, that's important. Let me move to higher ed now because I got two higher ed stories that are jacked up. Again, I highlighted both of these in the substack as well, but I want you to hear the audio from this. This first one, this is from Radford, Virginia, and this is Radford University. And here's what they've decided to do in order to make up for the fact that they've killed off their clientele and all their customers and so on and so on. What they've decided to do is offer free tuition next year to all students as long as their parents have a combined income of $100,000 or less. And they all get a tuition waiver, just like that, which means no more scholarships, no need to have a scholarship of any kind, unless, of course, they offer that there. I don't know if they do or they don't, but either way, that's rather interesting, is it not? Free tuition. Now, it doesn't mean that attending would be free. They'd still be living, of course, on or in student housing. They'd still be play, paying class fees, basically. They'd probably still be eating on campus someplace, so they'd still be receiving money as an institution. But ladies and gentlemen, they're doing this to up their enrollment numbers because they are declining, if not rock bottom. Because keep in mind, they probably went along with the COVID lie, which means, well, we know how that's working out, certainly for Matthew Perry of Friends fame, who drowned in his hot tub. No, no. He had a massive heart attack because he's jabbed. That's why he died. Anyway, moving on. Uh, th this right here is, a, is just a massive, massive scheme. Here's the other problem with this, <clears throat> before I play the audio, excuse me, is uh, I think there's an illegal alien element tied to this. And there is to the next story I'm going to bring up in a minute too, but 
I really, I really do believe that. I think that they're offering, they're making this tuition free for again students whose parents have a combined uh, income of a hundred thousand dollars or less. Not just to get more money from the state because they'll say, "Hey, look at our, our enrollments through the roof. We can't, we can't keep people away. We have to beat them away with a stick." But ultimately, it will be to allow illegals to show up and attend, because then they'll be able to meet their diversity, equity, and inclusion quota. And won't that be fun for everybody? So give this audio a listen from their local news affiliate out of Radford, Virginia in three, two, one. Radford University says it is launching a major initiative to help more Virginians access an affordable education. It's called the Radford Tuition Promise, and for many students, it will guarantee their tuition is covered. Senior reporter Joe DeShiel covered this announcement this morning, and he's in the studio with more on this effort. So Joe, who will benefit? Well, Gina and Natalie, this is directed toward Virginia residents whose families have an adjusted gross income of $100,000 or less. We're told more than half of the Virginia students now enrolled at Radford will be eligible. This is a historic day for Radford University as a public university of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Radford University President Brett Danilovich announced the Radford tuition promise at a news conference Wednesday morning. And in an interview with WDBJ7, he said a major goal is to reassure prospective students and their families they have an affordable pathway to a high-quality education. Often what they see on the website is the sticker price of the university, but they don't see in advance the aid that they're provided, either through the federal government, through a Pell Grant, or through state aid, or even through the university. So this makes it transparent up front. Before a student even applies, if they're accepted here, tuition is covered. We're taking out some of the guesswork of what it means to go to a four-year institution, get a degree that's going to work for you, where you can turn it around and get a job tomorrow in many of the areas that we're known for, education, health care, cybersecurity, business. These are folks that are desperate for talent, and we're producing it. The initiative applies to in-person undergraduate students at all Radford University locations, including here in Roanoke. Gina and Natalie, new or returning students who are Virginia residents, can take advantage of the Radford tuition promise starting next fall. All right, I'm sure that's welcome news for many students and parents, too. Thanks, Joe. Welcomed relief, they say. Well, well, well. I bet you've just pissed off 50% of your students and their parents and their families who are paying for their tuition and don't qualify for this. You've literally just ostracized half of the students who attend that university. <laughs> it's incredible. What are these ideas that they, I mean, who came up with this? What brain trust all got in a room together and said, here's what we're going to do. Well, it's going to be equitable. Yes, we're going to step on 50% of the people who come here, but uh, it's, it's equitable still. No, it isn't. There's nothing equal nor fair about any of that. It's preposterous. Not to mention, what are your enrollment numbers? What do they really look like? I bet they're rock bottom. I bet they're in the flipping tank. Could it be, oh, I don't know, the bioweapon that you probably forced on everybody? Not wanting to show up anymore for the threat of wearing a mask or being psychologically abused? What is happening here? What if you make, as a combined income, 
the parents in a home of a child who goes to that university, what if they made $105,000 combined? Do they not qualify now? How do they find out? Is the cutoff really $100,000 or are you going to make exceptions to the rule? There's no way this is fair. It's ridiculous. And they're, of course, saying that they're the cream of the crop, so they think, and this is the kind of education that we provide here, and we want to prepare students for the future and the workforce, and we want to give these working environments the absolute best. So we're making everything free. (laughs) It makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. They just want the high enrollment numbers, that's all. That's the only thing they're interested in. They're not interested in anything else. But they'll throw around those buzzwords like diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're making it fair and and equal for everybody. No, you're not. No, you're not. And taking out the guesswork? Guesswork? What guesswork? They cut a check. Do they not know? I mean, parents cut checks to universities and they send it in the flipping mail. Do, do, Do people applying to college not understand that? That's the way that it gets done. Here's another one. This leads right into the illegal alien stuff, in my opinion. Again, highlighted this in the substack. This was sent to me by an insider within this university. They know who they are, and thank you for sending it. Hopefully someday I can get them on the show to talk about what's going on there. But Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia, I was told by this individual that Longwood University circa 1839, is forcing all of their students, regardless of how many years that they've been there, to now move into on-campus living in dormitories, in particular within a brand new high-rise dormitory that they've just erected. So you're no longer allowed to live off-campus. Again, why would they be doing that? Not to mention, who would want to do that? But even so, why are they doing that? Well, as it turns out, excuse me, they're probably, as most of these universities tend to be, in the real estate business, and they're trying to acquire land outside of the university within the neighboring town and or city, and then they just sit on it. And they'll pay taxes on it, and then they'll put up their beloved affordable housing. And then, yes, that's right, you can hear the bus backing up filled with illegal aliens. And then they bring all of them in, and then that's your environment. So you're putting all of the university students on the university campus and telling them that they can't leave because it's a commune and you have to get everybody to stay there and receive the same brainwashing. And then you fill the surrounding area with illegals. If not the school itself, I mean, hell, it'll probably be the school too, to some extent, if it isn't already. This is is what's going on here. And again, they're trying to also probably keep student money on uh, on the student campus and within the university itself. And of course, They're going to charge them to live on the university. I mean, there's no way it's free. But that's the scheme here. These universities and these public schools across the nation are going to continuously fill up with illegals. 
There's no way around it. In one of the past, I've also put it on Gab, but in one of the past war videos at the very end, I played a video that a guy took and uploaded to, tip, uh, to TikTok, and he's in Georgia, and he's inside of his car, and he's filming Africans. I mean, African Africans getting out of a taxi or an Uber, and then they're just all congregating around this general, uh, you know, general store area in this parking lot, and even across the street by this, by this other building on this staircase. And he goes, "These are Africans." He goes, "These aren't Georgia citizens. These are not Black Americans. These are Africans. They can't speak English." And what are they doing here? They're just being dropped off, and then and then what? And he and he starts driving around, and he drives up to one of them, and he rolls down the window. He goes, "Hey," he goes, uh, "Where are you from?" Dude can't speak a lick of English. He tries. He's he's telling him things in whatever language he's using, but it's not English. And then he drives past this kind of little intake center. It looks kind of like a a church of some kind, and sure enough. There's even more of them congregating outside of that particular building, too. The, the diversity, equity, and inclusion scheme, ladies and gentlemen, in my opinion, is to usher in illegal aliens. That's what this is all about. And they'll get a free tuition. They'll get a free roof over their head. And they'll be in the exact same environment as someone who is paying out the wazoo. I don't, I don't. I don't know how else to slice it. That's what they're doing because they've just killed off their customers with a bioweapon over the last three years. They got to make ends meet or else they'll fold. <laughs> what a time. I mean, what an absolute time to be alive. It's incredible. And it's right here. Let me slide into the jab related stuff here too now. And this is kind of interesting. Um, and I need to reintroduce this person to you, I think. At least I'm going to do it for those that may not recall. Uh, Catherine Watt, I've mentioned her name before. She has a substack, Bailiwick News. So it's bailiwicknews.substack.com. This is the gal who went through the Department of Defense documents that were specifically highlighting the quote-unquote kill box. You may recall that. It had to do again with electromagnetic radiation and surveillance and the bioweapon shots and all of that. She's gone through basically this entire kill program with a fine-tooth comb and gone through the government documents as well that clearly say that that's what this is. They want to be able to target individuals and kill them based on where they actually are currently sitting. Um, I, again, I, I went over those presentations on the show here, and, and those documents are available on my website also. But she wrote a substack here a couple of days ago, uh, approximately four or five days ago, and it is titled the following, Some County and State Lawmakers Are Starting to Get Better Informed and More Concerned, Tools to Help Them Understand What's Happening and Respond Appropriately. So here's what she does. She highlights in this particular article, a group that is called We the People 50. And it's an organization locally, apparently, where she lives that basically instructs individuals how to organize certain individuals to get together and then present real medical information. 
regarding these bioweapon shots to county commissioners or city councils or things of that nature. Um, they ended up getting, again, Dr. Lindsay, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Thorpe, Dr. Cole, and Sasha Latipova all together to essentially give a presentation in a Washington County, Idaho Board of Commissioners agenda back in May of, of this year. And I've seen that footage, and I mean, it's, it's informative. But the individuals listening to it again who live there, they would have to see this and then essentially say, oh my God, what have we done? What have we gone along with here? Um, here's, the interesting, here's the interesting part about this too. Again, they, they provide on, on the We the People 50 website, they provide guides. And in this particular article, she highlights all the PDFs and you can clearly download them and take a look. Uh, you know, they provide tips on how to get a hold of these people and the kinds of presentations. And again, you, you would show up again at, at one of these meetings, but you would email them in advance and say, I want to give a larger presentation on what's really going on. And we want you to listen to this. And we're bringing in medical professionals to basically talk about what's really going on. This is a bit of a catch-22 to some extent because you've heard my take on this. I just want these people to expire. I know that that sounds cold-blooded, but I really just want these elected officials who went along with this lie from the word go, I want them to expire. Like a bad carton of milk. It's time for them to go. And again, I, I do not believe that a lot of them know what they've done. They're brainwashed. They have no flipping clue what's, what's happening. Their own colleagues are dropping over dead. And they're going, well, it's a shame that old Rick didn't make it. You know, uh, he was in perfect health, but fell over in the middle of a meeting with a heart attack. I mean, they're not questioning anything. These are not thinking people. But I admire the We the People 50 group for, again, providing the public with information on how to wake up some of these elected officials if, if again, they're willing to be woken up. But that's a, that's a tall order. But here's one of the paragraphs, again, in, in her substack here. It says, uh, it says the following. It says, We the People 50 works with citizens and with county and state lawmakers across the United States to help people understand the intrinsic toxicity of the biochemical weapons presented to the public as COVID-19 vaccines, quote-unquote, and mRNA platform technologies, and to help county and state lawmakers recognize their constitutional duty and use their constitutional authority to protect and defend the people who live within their political jurisdictions. Now, again, you know, you, you've got some legal clout here, potentially. Again, I'm sure they say, well, you know, here are some national lawyers that can help contact these individuals to help you give a presentation. But if an average American like myself provides an email to a city council, which I've done on more than two occasions now, and, and sends messages and emails to the sheriff's department for the exact same reason, tells an entire school board about what the hell's going on, and none of them learn a damn thing, what, what else can you possibly do? I mean, yeah, you can keep trying, I suppose, but eventually they're just going to have to reap what they sow. At least that's my take. But anyway, I just wanted to highlight this to you. I will link this in, in the description below if you're interested in taking a closer look. It is interesting. They have template letters here that you can use in order to contact these people. Again, county commissioners, county clerk, county staff, 
Uh, and again, it's basically a way for you to email them and say, I'm interested in giving an actual presentation. I don't want to show up and just speak during the time allotted that the public is allowed to speak. What they say here is, is that you're requesting a 30 to 45 minute presentation on what's really going on. I mean, it's again, it's not a bad idea. And it can certainly make, you know, potentially make an impact. But again, for me, it boils down to the simple question of are they going to respond? Are they going to reply? Reply sender. I mean, are they, are, are they going to do that? Are they going to contact you and say yes? I mean, you can try. I suppose you could try. Again, sarcastically, although I was really going to do it and still might, but I was going to offer up to the city council an opportunity to have an open debate about this. I mean, it's a university town. There's ample seating, ample microphones, plenty of stages. How about we just have ourselves a flat-out debate? Again, they can call it something stupid like, our town's response to COVID, what we've done and what we've learned and where we, where we plan on going forward. I mean, these people don't want to hear anything that counters what they just went through with and what they just went along with. Like I said, they throw themselves off of a bridge if they really found out what they've done. It really takes a certain level of reflection and introspection in order to grasp the weight of, of the murder policy that they just went along with. I don't think that they'll be able to grasp it, but it's all right here. Again, I'll link it in the description below. I find, that, I find it interesting. It's certainly worth a try if people want to try it, but I just say good luck getting a reply. I don't think it's going to be quite that easy. Uh, okay, moving on. There is this. This is from the Defender Children's Health Defense from just the other day. It's titled, How Pfizer Hid Nearly 80% of COVID Vaccine Trial Deaths from Regulators. And it highlights a couple of different things. Um, again, not checking all of the boxes clearly, uh, chalking it up to other illnesses that the individuals had, and perhaps that's why they passed away because they had a quote unquote pre existing condition. But the subtitle of this says the following it says, according to an analysis published this month in the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice, and Research of Pfizer BioNTech COVID 19 vaccine clinical trial data, the vaccine makers hid fatality data from regulators in order to qualify for emergency use authorization. Now, that's not surprising to anybody, I don't think. Here's one of the interesting aspects which they actually don't highlight in the article. And ironically enough, this was something that I stumbled across when I was going through those documents very early on back in the spring of 2022. One of the trends that I noticed in, in those documents was if an individual was, was participating in, in the quote-unquote vaccine trials during the, again, summer of 2020 or even before then, because they were engaging in mRNA trials before 2020, but specifically during 2020, if an individual was dumb enough to participate in the trial, they would receive one injection, they would receive a second if they were still alive. And then they would even receive a booster, a third shot, if they were still alive yet. What they did was is they would give them a shot and then they would send them home. What they would then do, of course, because they wanted them to come back and receive the second shot and talk about any side effects and, and whatever else, 
they would give the, they would basically just attempt to call them on the phone and get them to come back if they couldn't reach them they actually wrote in the documents themselves participant could not be reached for further consultation or they would say participant could not be reached for follow up consultation or participant was unavailable for consultation that's a big problem because what that means is is that individual was probably dead that's why they weren't picking up the phone now i brought this up a long time ago on this show back when i covered that but this right here pretty much proves it because they're not going to chalk it up to a vaccine related death if they can't get a hold of the person even though that's probably what happened they went home they died they had a heart attack or something else happened uh, and they could, you know, they were unavailable to take their second or even third shot. But they're just going to say, well, we just couldn't get a hold of them. They just didn't pick up the phone when we called. Oopsie. Anyway, on to the next person to kill. And that's basically it. They didn't follow up with any death certificates. Uh, you know, can we find out if the person really, in fact, died? Did they move? They even, <laughs> Jesus, I'm glad I just remembered that. They even wrote that in. They would say, participant has moved. Well, did they really move? Or are you just writing it in the form that they moved, which is why you couldn't get a hold of them or why they couldn't come back to receive more shots? They did have the stones, however, or the whatever you'd call it, hubris, I guess. They had the hubris to even write in those documents that the individual was reached for further consultation and they got, a, they got in touch with them, but they declined to further participate. Well, what does that mean? Why didn't they want to take more shots? Were the side effects so bad that now they have a permanent condition that's irreversible? Probably. Yeah. They learned their lesson. Huge mistake. Wow, this was a huge mistake. I, I shouldn't have done this. Now my heart's racing out of my chest and I don't know what to do. That's how they were hiding it. They were consistently hiding it by, again, not doing a thorough follow-up on the individuals who had already taken at least one shot. So there are lots of ways to cover this up, and they certainly, they certainly did it. Of course, they're not hiding it anymore. It's, it's all out in the open. It's just who wants to see it and who wants to recognize what they went along with and what they've done to themselves, their families, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These people don't want to hear this. They really don't. The cognitive dissonance is a deadly characteristic. Speaking of cognitive dissonance, here's another article, which, by the way, just got wiped off the internet. This was from yournewswire.com. It was titled, before I could access it, Heart Attacks in Fully Vaccinated Australia Hit Highest Level Ever Recorded. Doctors Baffled. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they, they would want to delete that. Rather telling. What could it possibly be? Here's another one. This is from the expose. Mortality rates per 100,000 prove quadruple vaccinated adults are 104% more likely to die than unvaccinated adults. Oops. Again, this information is out there. It's out there. And it's flooding the field. But all of these fields that went along with this, they're, they're too busy watching TV. 
Well, isn't that sad? Matthew Perry died. Oh, that's so sad. I love Friends, don't you? I love that show. I mean, they're not connecting any dots here. Here's an, here's another one. Kim Carter sent this my way. Oh, by the way, I should tell people that. That was interesting. Kim Carter and I were texting back and forth. Again, nurse, friend of the show, nurse in Cincinnati. Uh, she was saying that basically all the higher-ups in her hospital are sick. And they're all out, off the job, not on site, including some of their, uh, you know, their, some of their children and family members. Weird. Weird. What, what could possibly be the reason? She even said that uh, one of the higher-up individuals was making an announcement that they had just received their next shot. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it's, it's suicide. It's suicide. And again, an, another giant story came out this past week about taking the flu shot with the COVID jabs at the same time dramatically increases your chances of having a stroke and a heart attack. No shit. No kidding. We've been saying that from day one. Well, it's dangerous if you take both at the same time. No kidding. No kidding. It's dangerous if you throw a rattlesnake in your pants, too. But you have to spell it out for these people? Apparently. Speaking of spelling it out, <laughs> it's just nuts. British Pharmaceutical Society, the British Journal of Pharmacology. Kim Carter threw this my way. This is from October 12th. Hot off the presses, peer-reviewed. Not that that matters, but it's true. Cardiac side effects of RNA-based SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. Hidden cardiotoxic effects of mRNA-1273 and BNT162B2. So we're talking about the, let me see here, the Moderna and the Pfizer jab on ventricular myocyte function and structure. Translation, heart damage. And heart damage is permanent heart damage. There's no such thing as temporary heart damage. Here's what it says in the key results. It says in the first 24 hours after applic application, both the mRNA-1273 and the Pfizer jab, so both the Moderna and the Pfizer, caused neither functional disturbances nor morphological abnormalities. After 48 hours of expression of the encoded spike protein was detected in ventricular cardiomyocytes for both mRNAs. Uh-oh. So 24 hours after, there were no problems. 48 hours after, big problems. At this point in time, the Moderna-induced arrhythmic as well as completely irregular contractions associated with irregular, as well as localized calcium transients, which provide indications of significant dysfunction of the cardiac rhinodyne receptor. In contrast, the Pfizer jab increased cardiomyocyte contraction via significantly increased protein kinase activity at the cellular level, unquote. Yep, heart damage doesn't have to be immediate. It can come at any time after the fact. And in this case, for that particular study, 48 hours afterwards, that's all it took 
for the jab juice to find its way implanted in the heart and cause a complete disruption. Now, as we know, it's really impacting the central nervous system. It's going after the brain and the spinal cord, which is why it's disrupting the heart because, well, that's, that's the body system that controls that. So there you go. Again, this kind of information, this is not, this is not what the people who took the COVID cash want to hear. And I'm going to end with this because they definitely don't want to hear this one. Do you recall the Anthony Fauci emails from back in the day that were released? This is one of those sort of hidden gems that, uh, that was really problematic for both him and endless other people, where there were endless medical doctors emailing him and going, hey, Tone Loke, uh, you know, you got to respond to our emails here, pal, because uh, we're testing the blood of, uh, of people who have taken these shots, and it seems like they have HIV, because it looks exactly the same as blood from someone who has HIV. Now, here's the thing, again, just kind of a quick little history lesson. There's no such thing as HIV. HIV never existed, still doesn't exist. That was poison that was put in hepatitis shots and given to Hispanics, blacks, and gays back in the day, which led to the whole HIV hysteria. What they're really noticing, and did notice even, again, within the last three years here since the jab rollout, is they noticed, these doctors, that the blood from the jabbed looked similar to those who previously and still do have a a completely compromised immune system. That their DNA is basically the same, that it's damaged from being poisoned. And it has very similar makeup. Yes, it's similar symptoms, but this has more to do with the very specific makeup of their blood and, and what that specifically looks like. Again, this was being emailed to Anthony Fauci with regularity. Now, I stumbled across this, and I'm going to include this particular paper in, uh, well, on the website under the medical documents tab, probably. In fact, I might just put it, well, let me see. I might put it in the government documents tab. Either way, this is rather interesting. Uh, this is a particular study that is titled the following Uncanny Similarity of Unique Inserts in the 2019 NCOV Spike Protein to HIV 1GP120 and GAG, GAG. And there are numerous Indian authors here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, this is from the Kusuma School of Biological Sciences, Indian Institute of Technology in New Delhi, India. Now, I'll fully admit that this is over my head to some extent. Certainly it is. I'm not a medical doctor, but I understand a, a basic comparison, and that's what this is. Let me read the conclusion here and it's pretty straightforward, even though you know it gets into some of the medical jargon. But some of the words pop right out to you, like this is not a fortuitous happening here. Um, here's the conclusion. Quote, our analysis of the spike glycoprotein of 2019-NCOV revealed several interesting findings. First, we identified four unique inserts in the 
NCOV spike glycoprotein that are not present in any other coronavirus reported till date. To our surprise, all the four inserts in the 2019 NCOV mapped to short segments of amino acids in the HIV-1, GP120, and GAG among all annotated virus proteins in the NCBI database. This uncanny similarity of novel inserts in the 2019 NCOV spike protein to HIV and GAG is unlikely to be fortuitous. It says then further, 3D modeling suggests that at least three of the unique inserts, which are non-contiguous in the primary protein sequence of the 2019 NCOV spike glycoprotein converge to constitute the key components of the receptor binding site. Of note, all the four inserts have PI values of around 10 that may facilitate virus-host interactions. Taken together, our findings suggest unconventional evolution of 2019 NCOV that warrants further investigation. Our work highlights novel evolutionary aspects of 2019 NCOV and has implications on the pathogenesis and diagnosis of this virus." Again. The entire HIV playbook, in my opinion, based on everything that I've looked at, listened to, and read, was used with this entire thing. It's the exact same playbook. You tell people there's a virus when there's not, and then you inject them with a shot that they believe they're receiving for something that doesn't exist, i.e., the flu, and you put an amplified poison in that shot that they think again is for the flu, jokes on them, it's not. They end up getting remarkably ill, if not dying. They transmit that illness back and forth, and then you tell society that there's this novel coronavirus that exists, and we've never seen this before. And then that triggers something in everybody's mind who got ill. In the fall of you know the fall or winter of of 2019, and they say, "Oh yeah, I, I must have had it because it was way worse than the flu." And I remember what the flu was like, but uh, it's it's you know this was way worse. Again, there's no such thing as the flu. There's only poisoning yourself through shots. That's that's essentially it. The same thing is true with this. There's no coronavirus. There's only poisoning yourself with shots. And the reason that it's the same as HIV or similar in its makeup is because that's how they delivered quote-unquote HIV back in the late 70s, early 80s. It was done in hepatitis shots. That's it. Game over. You have to inject people first, have them experience an illness they've never experienced and symptoms they've never had before at a more severe level, like the brain fog that we've heard with endless people who quote-unquote got COVID. You have to inject them first, get them ill. If they still survive, then you sell them the fairy tale. And they'll take it, hook, line, and sinker. And then you sell them your solution, which is another shot. And in this case, upwards of five plus. 
Game over. You're not going to tell me it's not depopulation. They ran with the same damn story again 20, 30 years later. Well, longer than that. It's been 40 years since HIV. So there you go. Same, same, exact, same exact thing. And this paper points it out that these doctors saw it and they went, wait a minute, this is odd. Now, again, what were they, what were they looking at? From what I can tell by, by looking at this, they're looking at an evolutionary analysis. They're looking at basically the computer makeup or whatever the computer description was of this alleged illness. In particular, again, they reference China. So they're saying that they either got the information from them or something along those lines. But as we know, there's no such thing as viruses. And this in particular has never been isolated to be some individualized thing. It is quite literally just poison in a vial. That, that's all that it is. But the timing of the print of this particular article gives up the goose. This was printed and published January 31st of 2020. So very early on, they knew that whatever this juice was, looked very similar in genetic makeup to what they perceived to be HIV. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that city councils and hospitals and uh, sheriff's departments and everybody else is going to want to hear this. That's the kind of information that they don't want to even listen to. They will quite literally get up and walk out of a room if you start saying things like this. But. It's not that we shouldn't try to wake people up. We certainly could, and we certainly should, and we should inundate people with emails and give them all kinds of information. I'm all for that. But sometimes these people just got to pay, and they got to pay with their own actions. I, I, I don't know what else to really say. I, again, I know that sounds cold-blooded, but hey, it is the current state of affairs after all. And if they're not going to connect the dots, you know, there's, there's only so much we can do. Everybody knows the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. I would argue that you can't even lead a horse to water sometimes. Sometimes that horse just won't budge. So, a horse that won't move to water, what's going to happen to it? I think we know. And it's happening. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. It was a long one. My apologies. But uh, there you go. I'll catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.